Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. I was trying to go with Bane there. I don't know how that worked out. Not at all like Bane, and much more like an elderly man from an old black and white serial telling young Jimmy that there's trouble down at the barn. Uh, you know, if you put that through a Bane filter, like uh, put a mask <laughs> over that guy, I honestly think that that's, uh, I think that may just be it. <laughs> Alright, so, welcome back to another episode, it's been a while. Yeah, you know, things happen. Uh... <laughs> to those still with us, thank you. To those who have left us, I see you. Yeah, uh... you can't hear us though, so haha, we can say whatever we want about you. <laughs> Um, we'll start off with a little bit of news. Uh, the new Todd Phillips Joker trailer dropped. Now a lot of people are calling it Oscar-worthy, even <laughs> though I don't know how they came to that conclusion. <laughs> okay, I mean, full disclosure, I have not seen the trailer for it, because I kind of want to go, I want to try and go in cold, because mm-hmm. I'm, 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 gen- I'm genuinely curious as to what this thing is going to be. But, like... How many times have we been burned by trailers, just as a society? I think it's because the release date is October. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. Most of the people I see saying that, I don't think are saying that because of that reason. Although, uh, maybe I just have a lower uh, amount of faith in people. <laughs> I but, mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty hard to have less faith in people than I do, but I. Yeah, I mean, it's coming out in a in a time of the year that indicates a certain amount of faith. But at the same time, I think people just think... I think a lot of people just think it, it looks cool. Right. Um, but yeah, I have a little faith because of Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he's he's entertaining. Um, he's one of those actors who I never really like. I He was okay to me, but then I saw you were never really there and I turned around completely on him. Hmm. And I mean, I, and we, we talked about this uh, sometime when we weren't being recorded, but like, I, I do have an amount of, I have a, a pretty high amount of faith in the concept of, of DC moving more toward like untethered uh, sort of uh, uh, Elseworlds, if it were a comic would be the term, I suppose, type right. movies. Because I think that that's the only thing that they have that is legitimately a strength that, um, that Marvel doesn't have. Well, yeah, no, because Marvel has this sort of franchise interconnected universe, quote yeah. unquote. And yet DC is like, you know what? Now, why do we just do whatever the hell we want? And I'm yeah. like, yes, be chaos to the organization. That's yeah, that that that's because I mean, Justice League was okay. Justice that... League was a magical unicorn, and shut your face. Uh, like it was, it was okay. I had a good time, but it wasn't, it wasn't the Avengers and that was what it was trying to be. And on that metric, it is a failure. I had a good time watching it, but I think we all know that that was the metric that movie was supposed to hit and it fell so far short. (laughs) Uh, and again, like I, I I really enjoyed it. I like Superman's weird lip and all that stuff. Like, you know, good time. Uh, Also, this is the weird thing. Like, I made mention of a lip in front of a a DC fan I know. Oh, no. And he was like, you know what? How come everyone talks about the lip and no one talks about Thor's eye? And I'm like, honestly, because A, I never noticed it. B, 
these special effects aren't really that important. I only mentioned the lip thing because when I saw it with Koi, she flew back into a chair. And that's a reaction you don't normally get in a 3D movie. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. He's <laughs> like, it's like, let's be fair here. I'm like, it's not about being fair. When you're fair into... <laughs> Let's be fair here, razors exist. <laughs> it's like, not only that, but I'm just like, also, Thor Ragnarok is legitimately good, and you don't notice yeah. bad things in a movie where yeah, you have Yeah, Thor Ragnarok is, is one of the best movies that Marvel has put out, and Justice League is a movie that was put out. <laughs> <laughs> its own unicorn status comes from the fact that so many chefs were in that particular location. Yeah, yeah, but even so, like, you can't even stand up next to Thor Ragnarok, which is itself a better team up movie. Like I don't. I um, but getting back to the Joker oh. movie. Yes, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Todd Phillips is not a director I have a lot of faith in. In yeah. terms of like giving me a complex antihero, considering what he normally does is Hangover trilogy. Yeah. Or, road trip. or old school. Like yeah. I. And again, that's not an indication that he can't right just that he hasn't and i mean like i i'm a big defender of uh uh what's that that uh freaking ben stiller movie uh the cable guy no 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 um i'm blanking on words all day tropic thunder oh yeah because i thought i thought that that movie could never possibly work because of all the things they were intentionally doing wrong (laughs) but it 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 like uh, acknowledged its flaws and like used these things in ways that that legitimately surprised me. And like, I think Ben Stiller was funny, but I really didn't think he could direct a movie that I would really get into. Like I did that. One. Let's let's be honest right now, because I think yeah. it doesn't get enough credit. Ben Stiller, no. Tropic Thunder is a very tightly directed it really movie, is. and the fact that it's directed by Ben Stiller, who has directed other movies before, but nothing as visual as yeah. polished. And just as tight and well put together as Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why that's the one I decided to compare this with, but it just uh, popped in my head, I guess. Well, since, since Tropic comedy. Thunder, I remember we went in with low expectations. Oh, super low expectations. <laughs> and I remember one that's like, oh, wow, that was really fun. And then Ben Stiller's name popped up as director, and I was like, I'm sorry, who directed this? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I... Like, again, conceptually, I'm very interested, and uh, I am kind of avoiding the trailer. I'm sort of avoiding trailers. I'm not avoiding reading about it, but I I, I don't know. I've gotten kind of burned out on trailers at this point in my life. Uh, I didn't watch watch any of the trailers for for us. I I went into that movie completely cold, and uh, it was... I mean, even then, I I thought I knew a little bit of what to expect, but man, oh... I was so pleased that it wasn't what I was expecting. And not that I was expecting it to be bad. Just different. Well, real quick before we move on, it's the thing of watching the trailer, I've heard people say they see a mixture of You Were Never Really Here Mm. and uh, Scorsese's King of Comedy. Yeah, I keep hearing that. I see that too, but I see that in a way where that's what it's trying to be. And I'm just like, I don't know. There's a, like there's a sort of try hardness to the thing that makes me go. Ugh, I don't know. If you can, if you can easily say that it's trying to be these two specific things, right? I'm a little suspicious of that. Exactly. Uh, and again, it, this it, is it, just how the trailer purports how it's going to be, not how the movie actually is. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's yeah. It's just if you make it too easily reducible, it makes it seem like you're not making something. You're making what if we mashed X and Y, right? Uh, which, yeah, I don't know. It, it it makes me suspicious, but I I'm I'm still super interested in seeing it. Like I I I have hopes that it will be good, but like the Joker is one of those characters that can fall into try hardness real fast. Well, and also don't... like and also like what the Joker became like in the I guess this isn't as true anymore, but just like in the follow up to the Dark Knight and the fact that I just have deleted. Uh, the Suicide Squad Joker from my brain. Like I, <laughs> I feel like the Suicide Squad Joker is exactly what happens when the previous one was too good, and I'm curious as to what this one's gonna be. <laughs> well, I'm also really psyched because I've seen nothing but photos from yeah. the Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, yes, yeah. I tell people not to get excited over f- basic pictures, and yeah. I'm not really excited for the movie. I am just impressed with. The radical difference of how Harley looks. Yeah. And the fact that it looks like you can tell it's directed by a woman because Harley looks weird, but like in a weird sense as opposed to a sexy weird. (laughs) In an interesting sense and less like uh, kind of boringly designed. Right. Well, it's basically the fact that she looks like she's been costumed based on her eccentricities as opposed to her fuckability. Yeah. Uh, That... That's that's pretty on the nose. I agree. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. That's an ex- excellent description of the costume design for her. In um, but so basically, the consensus for us is wait and see, which is I know yeah. brave, but it's yeah, also su- the super logical... super bold stance there. Uh. <laughs> um, so we both saw the movie Us. Yes. Jordan Peele's second movie after Get Out. First movie after Get Out, but second movie total. Yeah. Um, have you watched any of the Amazon documentary he produced? Oh, no, I have not yet. Uh, Lorena about Lorena Bobbitt? Hmm. I had forgotten about that, and no, I have not seen that yet. I've only watched the first two out of three episodes, but I am very intrigued by the path he has I, uh, I, frequently, I frequently forget about uh, Amazon Prime shows until The Tick comes out again, and The Tick recently came out, so I've started paying attention to Amazon again. <laughs> uh, side note, first five seasons of Murder, She Wrote are out on Amazon Prime. And also, of all of The Prisoner. You should watch The Prisoner, everyone. <laughs> it's great. It's it's weird and great. I love it. Patrick McGugan was on no less than two episodes of Columbo. Yeah, and uh, he was in uh, Scanners, which Kara and I just recently, well, rewatched for me. She had not seen it before. Right. Actually, I think he was in three episodes, if you count one of the later ones. Never mind. Anyhow. And he, and he directed a few. Anyway, Patrick Magoon's a, a fun guy. You should watch stuff <laughs> he that he He's absolutely a fun character to watch. <laughs> he is bonkers. <laughs> Although uh, he has the greatest stink eye of, like, maybe anyone ever. <laughs> He has a line delivery in the episode of Columbo with Leslie Nielsen. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I, the the Columbo moment I remember from him, because this is now a Columbo podcast, buckle up, uh, <laughs> is when Columbo tell like, he plays he's playing a lawyer, and Columbo tells him a joke. And uh, he stares, after the joke finishes, he stares at Columbo for, like, three seconds of silence, and then goes, ha! In, like, the weirdest possible way. <laughs> 
I love it. Anyway, uh, so Jordan Peele's us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so this one is vastly different from Get Out, but it's the same genre, but I think a different subgenre. Yeah, I like that as a. Because it's still a horror movie, but it's much more enamored with those sort of like the schlock subgenre yeah. of horror movies. Because I think he is it, truly I, a fan is... in the sense that he, he appreciates all the aspects of the genre. I feel like it, it is in that vein, but it's it's doing it slightly differently. Because when I think schlock, I also think gore. And this is not a gory movie. Like, there's plenty of blood, but it uses it sort of judiciously, I would right. say. Well, yeah, no, that's uh, the, how he uses the violence in this movie. It's much more impactful. Yeah. Uh, Which I think is the overall point of what the point of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if it had sort of reveled in its violence, it would have uh, distracted from all the other stuff it was doing. Um, but it is a movie, as you put it, like it makes you excited for his version of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, which I also haven't seen yet because everything is on different streaming services. And uh, eventually all of the streaming services are just going to be broadcast through the air and we'll be able to watch them on television and we'll call them channels and uh, we'll be in a vastly strange world. I know, right? Isn't it funny how streaming services yeah. have invented cable? Yeah, we well, no, because now we live in a world where every TV station charges you separately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, but yeah, no, it Everything feels... is broken and nothing is good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a new theme song. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we should we should call up musicians that we know and turn that into our actual theme. It'll be great. Like, uh, when if you're anyway. listening, here's a challenge for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there there is something very Twilight zone about us. And I... I... Uh, yeah, uh, there's something I, I just I uh, it's hard for me to put that into further words than just that because I've seen too much Twilight Zone in my life and it gets harder to pick apart at that point. Well, but, okay. um, I think also. Who, oh, yeah. Go ahead. For those of you who haven't seen it, spoilers. Yeah, there's going to be spoilers. Watch, go see the movie. It's it's worthwhile. Um, it's it's really fun. I, I will say this: skip ahead to the 30 minute mark, and you should be fine. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, well, now we just have to be sure to be done with the spoiler stuff. By the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, yeah. So those of you who didn't skip ahead, we have no idea. Well, what, what it's gonna be. Those those people are fools. Uh, they should never trust us. <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, it's yay doppelgangers uh, from under the ground. Good times. <laughs> doppelgangers and. The reveal at the end is that Lupita Nyong'o's character was the doppelganger all along. Yeah, it was originally the one from the from underground, and when they ran into each other in the House of Mirrors, they switched places, and uh, and yeah, and it, it explains a lot of various things, like why the doppelgangers are dressed on how they are, based on the the shirt that she was wearing and the commercial she was watching before right. they went out, and uh, just like all those little things. It's very interesting that like part of like, just one of the things that I really love is part of how inexplicably weird the doppelgangers are, not just in their behaviors, but like in how they're dressed and all that, is because they were they were taught and trained via child logic. Why? Like it's through a funhouse mirror, literally, of how they yeah. do things. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I just I love that. 
And like what that reveal really means is is well used because we don't know. It's left very much to the imagination. We just see the world falling apart and we see that moment between the the mother and the son uh where she has a sort of a weird smile, but it's uh, you can kind of interpret that a lot of different ways, which is a good way to use a twist ending because if the twist ending was just like oh they they were switched and that's all don't think about like that's you know i i just i love the way it was deployed i thought it it raised a lot of really interesting questions well and i've heard a lot of people complain about how they over explain what happens in the movie i'm like they explain (laughs) i don't think they over explain i think what we're used to is having movies guide us so much that when a movie guides you at all you get a little persnickety (laughs) yeah i mean i i I could see somebody making that argument, uh, but like, I don't know. I, me personally, didn't have a problem with it. Right. Uh, and the the things that it explained are not well. Like they still don't. They still leave a lot unanswered that the character doesn't know. Right. Because she's like, I, I guess they were they they seem to have been like they were they, they were created to control people, uh, but I get, they were just abandoned or something like that's. Like there's a limited amount of information, uh, and I, I like how limited it is. I suppose is is my thought there, right? Because well, it, it feels it feels a little more real that this the explanation that we're getting seems incomplete. For me, the so-called twist isn't a twist. Yeah, it's set up pretty well. Like I see, you see it coming a mile away. And I think that's on purpose. I don't think he's trying to be predictable so much as he's going, everyone, there's no bad guy in the movie. Yeah. And in fact, even the line, we are Americans, is meant (laughs) to imply that there is no bad guy because this is clearly guilt about class and about moving between classes. Yeah, having having an individual like bad guy. Like if you come away from this movie seeing... uh, seeing adelaide as the the bad guy then i feel like you you you're not really giving the movie a fair shake the closest thing the movie has to a bad guy are the kitty and her husband and the daughters the yeah family those people are jerks although shout out for the fact that jordan peele turned the line to alexa call the police and to accuse (laughs) fuck the police Oh, that was such a good like the, the the musical bits that they used in the the scene with that other family is uh like yeah you could tell like Jordan Peele still got comedy timing that's uh, <laughs> so good. Well, not, that and that beautiful moment when he goes, "What if we set out booby traps?" and she's like, "This isn't Home Alone. We're not going to set out microwave machines." And the kids are like. What are micro what's machines? Home, what's Home Alone? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that that like that scene on the beach between the families is just so ugh, uncomfortable in a very real way. I well, think, and he does all of that just by basic framing. Yeah, and because what one thing that's I think gets overlooked when a lot of people like are talking about the things they don't like about us is mm. how exquisitely crafted it is and like how we're almost not used to that in a mainstream movie Mm. because us is 
not perfect, but it is so visually well constructed that you can just pick it apart for like days. Whereas yeah. Shazam, which is fun and arguably works better, quote unquote, is visually nice to look at, but isn't as well constructed. Yeah. There's not enough. Uh, for, for example, in Us, there's that wonderful moment where there's a Jaws t shirt. <laughs> and then later on in the movie, there was a shot from Jaws. But it's not a famous shot, so you wouldn't even notice it. And it just happens to be... It may not even be a shot from Jaws, but it happens on the boat. And it very much feels like a scene from Jaws. Mm. Not only that, but that a whole bit on the lake has a tense to the moment. And it's a nice little connection to the Jaws t-shirt. Maybe yeah. accidental, may not be, but I think... But it certainly spent you. It certainly sent you spiraling into making associations. Yeah, but then again, I, it's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's what the human brain does. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, it, the acting in this movie is so. Put, I don't. When I say precise, what I mean is like there's a lot of sort of choices they make in the physicality and how mm. they speak when they play different doppelgangers in such yeah. a way that you have to remind yourself that. Yeah, no, the doppelganger is the actual actor. Yeah. I, uh, oh, I just, I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when, uh, Adelaide is, is trapped in the, the room with the, the Elizabeth Moss doppelganger. <laughs> and, and just like the, that, like Moss's performance as that doppelganger, I was like, geez, I would like her to play the Joker because <laughs> she's not saying anything and just her facial expressions are so intensely like manic and unsettling ah wow and also it's great because of how it reflects on the scene between i forget the name of moss's character off the top like her her normal character off the top of my head but like when they were on the beach earlier like it sets up that sort of dynamic between them that we get like a little bit of like uh moss's character seeming very sort of jealous of adelaide and uh, like that, like then her just like sort of like handcuffing her in the room, and then like looking at her face, like looking at her own face in the mirror, and you see those scars on there that right. imply the surgery that was like mentioned on the beach earlier, and it's just like wow, there's a well, lot going on here. <laughs> not only that, but like when Red uh, Adelaide Stoppaganger yeah. tells her her life, yeah, it's incredibly oh. creepy because you start to understand that. By some logic, they don't, like, the doppelgangers don't get any choice in the life they live. Yeah. It's all they're, controlled they're by the of, people on the surface. Yeah, they're sort of pulled through it. Right. Now, this almost has a fairy tale esque quality to it, which hmm. I think is what he's going for because you allow certain leaps of logic in a fairy tale. Yeah, or a do, Twilight Zone episode. Or, or Twilight, or a horror movie, because, yes, you could ask, well, where do they all get the suits, and how do they all fit, and where do they yeah. get the scissors? And that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, again, a plot hole, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I do not care. the movie's about the fact that they all... Hmm? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just, I do not care. It would be less interesting to to go into the, like, manufacturing sides of the... <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure it was an easy order to Costco, bulk order, you're done. Also, again, like, I can see a certain, like, the, I can still see that kind of, like, child logic behind the things that are, that the, um, that the tethered have. Right. Because, like, 
I was terrified of big metal shears when I was a child. Right. Because, like, when you're a kid, you get kid scissors, and then when you see, like, a big pair of shears, it's like, oh, I don't know how that works. That looks worse. <laughs> I don't want that. I'm going to be over here. And there's, so, I don't know, there, there's a certain, like, viscerality to that that would make sense to, that, like, makes sense to me uh, as something Red would have also felt. Well, there's that, um... 1939 John Cocteau Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And it opens up with him asking you to remember when you were a child and you just believed things without explanation. Yeah. And to some extent, that's what you're asked to do when you see a horror movie because there's no real logic in Nightmare on Elm Street. There's nightmare logic. <laughs> right. And and that is in itself a logic in itself. Dream logic is a thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think- I'm... I'm I think guilty a lot of, of people that. ignore dream logic and for the sake of logic. I mean, like most movies operate on dream logic. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm guilty of that kind of nitpicking as as much as the next person who grew up reading comics and obsessing over Star Wars movies. But like, I have let go of that to a degree, and I feel better about life and well, stories. Not only so. that, but like Night of the Hunter only works if you accept it on dream logic. Yeah. Which is, A, one of the best movies an uh, American movies ever made. So if you have trouble with that, I, I pity you. But, I think the more likely answer is just a lot of people haven't seen it. No, but I, I did hear a story that gave me hope. Oh. There's a critic, April Wolf. She works with, like I believe, a middle school or high school girls. Like, having, like, a little film class after school. Yeah, yeah. And she assigned them, like, three or four movies. And one of them was Night of the Hunter. And she was like, which one did y'all like the most? And they're all like, oh my god, Night of the Hunter is amazing. And I was like, doing the Lord's nice. work. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kids are, in fact, all right. Well, there is a weird... Um, I've noticed a weirdness in the fact that young girls are more open to watching older movies than young boys. Yeah, I, that would make sense. Like, I, I feel like it... Uh, I feel like when I was very young, I was super non-interested in watching older movies for no reason I could fully explain. But it also may just be because, like, so much stuff was made for for me as a demographic that, like, the fact that uh, older things didn't feel as targeted to me was maybe more of a thing. I don't know. I'm, well, not only that, but the older fun. movies did happen to have more of... They did think of the women in the audience. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. tended to have women characters. I remember... This is an antidote that has nothing to do with us. We'll talk about it after the 30-minute mark, so real quick. <laughs> um, so Us, the yes. violence in Us is... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's... a lot of people, when they get... When they talk about horror movies, they get trapped in the notion of it's too violent. Well, horror yeah. movies are violent by nature. That's what a horror movie does. But I think what you have to look at is not as a violent, but... How is the violence framed? What is the moral framework of how the violence is utilized? Yeah, like acting as though violence is a singular thing. Like, oh, you you used violence and that puts you in the realm of other things that use violence is an embarrassing mode of, uh, of, like, an embarrassing way to approach any kind of media. Um, Perfect example, something like um, a slumber party massacre. Hmm. It's a slasher movie, but the bad guy isn't a masked maniac. He's just a normal dude. Yeah. Yes, he has this giant drill that kills that he kills the girls with, but the point is the violence comes from a normal dude, that that is yeah. what 
for most girls is a truly terrifying figure. And I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's immediately lost if all you want to talk about is, like, the literal, like, diegetic happenings of the movie. Right. Uh, because if, if all you care about is, like, oh, well, where, you know, wh- where did he get the drill? Why did he use the blah, blah, blah? <laughs> Instead of, like, here is here is what is ostensibly just a normal-looking guy drill-murdering people. <laughs> uh, I wonder if this could mean something. Right. But much like that, the violence used in us, if you notice, is a particular violence, much more intimate and devastating when it's used on the upper class family. Yeah. Because there was more anger there. Because <laughs> yeah, they the, are uh, the ones who seem less appreciative of what they have. Yeah, because like, when, when Red gathers Adelaide's family like into the, the living room... And and then they they sort of split off after each of their um, you know doppelganger people, like the the especially like the the when the little boys go off into the closet, like that's not the, like there is no immediate impulse to murder, like right. at least in that that particular one, like the the chase between the daughters and like the essentially directly the fight between the husbands is uh. Like those are those are a little bit more immediately violent, but still nothing like the the immediate like visceral bloody death violence that happens to the other family. Not only that, but they fight back. Yeah, the um, the upper class family is unable to. Like yeah. to them, this is this is a language. The language of violence is new and utterly incomprehensible to them. It is something but, that they have heretofore been uh, disconnected from, right. like protected from. Whereas Adelaide's family, they know violence it is in the culture it is something they sadly know how to work with yeah they they have they are on some level prepared to like attempt to escape or protect themselves exactly and we are at the 30 minute mark so welcome back to all those who skipped ahead we've skipped over <laughs> the spoilers not sure if we even needed to talk about it but here we go um <laughs> We were, anyway, you were you were you were going to say something about sort of violence in what was the Slumber Party Massacre? Um, or, no, or... I was just I just brought that up as an example of how a slasher movie utilizes violence in a way. Oh yeah, I thought you, you said you had another an- you said you had another anecdote you were saving. I just assumed it was. Oh, connected that to was that. yeah, for about how girls are more open to old movies. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, that anecdote, I worked uh, I worked in a movie theater and we had a showing of When Harry Met Sally. Oh, nice. And they it moved to a bigger theater than it originally was in because it went up to like 80-some people. Oh, cool. So and good response then. It was. And then the about 7 o'clock, the showing was at 7.30, about 7 o'clock, like 25 to 40 teenage girls came in. Hmm. And like they had a chaperones, but it was like really weird. And we're like, I wonder what the heck they're going to go see. And we're looking at the numbers. And I'm like, well, it's either Captain Marvel or when Harry met Sally. And they were, the, by the way, the easiest guests I've ever dealt with at concessions. They knew what they wanted. They moved on. They were like, If they didn't nice. know, they stepped out of line. It was fantastic. I've never had guests so easily dealt with before. And then like sure they, enough, oh, they realized that there were people who uh, like had to deal with them, and so right. they, they acted accordingly. That's nice. And then the host, whose job it is to greet the audience before the movie comes out, was like, did mm. you guys see all the girls on When Harry met Sally? <laughs> and like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's one of the things like, oh, it might be because it's a romantic comedy that 
that equates both views and looks at both views. Uh, which is a genre that never took off. Oh, it did. It just also really became toxic around the late 90s. Uh, I guess that's true. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm thinking more like not exactly didn't take off because I never really watched a lot of romantic comedies, but like definitely wasn't around by the time I started paying more attention to movie right. releases in the same way. But no, it's just um, getting back to the violence in one movies. Um, for exa- um, another good example is um, something like Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Dead Alive is incredibly gory. Yeah. Uh, that is the that is the closest I've ever come to being made physically ill, I think. Right. And to some extent, that's Peter Jackson's point. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that, like, he's so... This character has been so distanced from humanity, and that these mm. characters are so inhuman themselves, that the violence is just over the top, because none of these people are people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the scene that always gets me is the, the dinner scene. Yeah, <laughs> because it's it's just uh, exceptionally gross, but it's also framed in this way of like, well, gotta keep up appearances no right. matter what horrible thing is happening. Right, and that's also <laughs> another point of just we have to pretend like nothing is wrong, even yeah. though everything is wrong. Hellraiser, <laughs> uh... um, the first Hellraiser, for me, the most squirm-inducing moment. Is the hand on the nail as they're moving the couch? Oh, the God, yeah. Oof. That is intense. <laughs> Sorry, just it immediately <laughs> popped in my head when you said that. It's like, uh, and you know what? I'm not even sure if they show the nail going into the skin. I just tell I'm not right. sure either. <laughs> I've never been able to watch it all, like that scene without turning away. Oh. And because I mean, it's, it's one of those but, weird things where when the violence is realistic, it's harder to look at than when the violence is cartoonish. Yeah. Because ridiculous over the top gore is processable, you know, like it, it's you can frame it in a way that is more easily digestible. At least, at least I can. Right. I know not everybody probably feels that way, but like when the the closer like violence uh, gets to realism, the more and, and yeah, it's it's those small things uh, that I feel like do the most to to unsettle me anyway. Well, I, but, I mean, that's I love also I, because it's more easily relatable and it triggers yeah. like a sense memory. And so for a moment, this character who you really haven't probably really been connecting with, you are intensely connected with because you've had that happen. And you well, know I the think, pain that he's in. You know, it's a good, you know, it's a good um, comparison here. What? Ironically, Home Alone. <laughs> I, feel, I feel basically no direct sensory empathy for the pain that those two characters go through for almost anything that happens to them. Except the nail in the foot. <laughs> and it's not gory like his feet are covered in tar you can't like all you see is nail go into foot the nail but doesn't even come out the other end no it doesn't but that's still enough even though he has like a cartoony because that man is a human cartoon uh even <laughs> though he has a, a ridiculous cartoony response to it that's still like there's i, I get a little bit eh. Uh, at that small thing, as opposed to like paint cans and and blow torches and and all like bur- uh, even just something like scorching his hand on the uh, the like scorching Joe Pesci's hand on the um, doorknob right. is too much of a uh, too much of like a Raiders of the Lost Ark bit for me to to take it seriously. But like that little stepping on a nail, 
uh, it's a, it's such a smaller, more believable kind of pain that I always like remember it. Well, there's a there's a movie called The House of Sand and Fog on Sand and Fog, hmm. Jennifer Connelly, Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Um, but there's a moment where she jumps off like the bottom rung of a ladder. She's barefoot hmm. and they're like doing repairs around the house, and there's a piece of wood with a nail in it, Oof. and a foot lands on the nail. And for a movie that is ostensibly brazenly boring for the first half of it <laughs> it jolts you and you're like Ugh. maybe you and i just uh have a thing about nails well I again well i've been with my sister when that happened to her so i know like it oh, yeah. a non-pain and again like we've all like scrapped scraped ourselves on a nail like we know yeah. that hurts it's that thing it was like again the violence means something on some level yeah. It's when the violence doesn't mean anything and they're just doing it for violence, like that's when it becomes okay, like what what's Which is the interesting point? because that that tends to be what people think of as slasher movies, but if right. you look at, at if you look at sort of genre progenitors, very few of them are just violence for the sake of shock. Right. Uh I mean that that that's not absent, but it, it it's not the it's not the only thing in play. Uh, you know, look at looking at like Halloween or, or like you said, like Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, an average-looking guy is murdering women with a drill. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, while I reach for my Freud back here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's like even um, the first Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Um, no, like it's a thing where I think fans of the horror genre are much more, and this probably be said for any any genre, but like they, they are much more attuned to what the violence is meaning within a singular movie than most people who are just against violence in general. Yeah. Um, there's a, like a, there's, there's sort of a learn, there's, you kind of have to learn how to read the violence. And if you're not willing to look at it at all, then it's all going to look the same to you. And to some extent, that's part of the problem with the, the comic book genre is the fact that yeah. the violence has no meaning. Yeah, because it's uh, and such I, a bunch of superheroes punching each other with no consequences. Yeah, and I think I talked about this before. Like the the way that I usually read superhero violence when it like is is to just read it in professional wrestling logic because that's basically what comic books run off of. Right. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter how how hard Batman hits this guy, he's gonna be fine because it's Batman doing the hitting, and Batman would never kill anyone. Right. <laughs> And that's such unless, a weird Unless you're age. living in a dream world, Thad. Wake up. <laughs> that's... God. Oh. Uh, I, do, I do not like Zack Snyder's uh, argument. Because it's bad. It's um, not even a coherent argument, but moving on. Yeah. <sighs> I, I especially love the dig at did you lose your virginity? I was like, I don't understand what this, any of this has to do with a very basic qualm with the character trait, but all right. Yeah. And guess what? I did eventually, Zach. <laughs> and you know what changed? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. changed. No red comic books the exact same is, way. <laughs> my worth and value in my opinion and my opinion's value in of himself still matter, whether yeah, I had weird. sex or not. What? Uh crazy that that's how that works oh <laughs> uh, yeah uh <laughs> sorry that yeah. went off in a weird direction there you did uh, that's all bad but okay getting back to us 
Well, I think the themes are clearly about uh, class and about yeah. migratory migration between classes. And I think also uh, that that question of blame, I think, is something that's that's important. Like the fact that people want there to be a simple like up or down, good guy, bad guy thing. Right. And that it's not that simple. Well, not only that, but Get Out was very tight and very, very overt into what it was about. Yeah, yeah. The, the symbolism in Get Out was completely like. I, I don't want to say it, it's thin because it's it's well done, but it's also not. There's there's no question as to what it was about. Right. Well, this one and is, us a, is somewhat more ambiguous. It's more ambiguous, and it's a thing where I think people have a tendency to judge a second film by a director's first film. Yeah, absolutely. And like I, in my review, I even point out that Orson Welles was judged by Citizen Kane his entire life, and mm. he was like. I don't even think it's that great of a movie. Why am I being held up to the standards? <laughs> Aww. Well, yeah, it's one of the things where, like, if your first movie is really great, then the, it's kind of like M. Night. Everything is in Sixth Sense. Yeah. Not everything will be Sixth Sense. Um, no. And I, I'm very curious to see... second movie is Sugarland Express, and there's no Jaws or Duel, <laughs> and yet no one talks about that, and yet I'm pretty sure if we go back and read the reviews, they'll be like, well, this isn't as good as Jaws. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm it very curious. Have to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to see how, uh, like, what the way us will be talked about once he's made a few more movies, and it's not just well, it it's not the same as Get Out, right? Like, it's the same uh, genre, so you can be forgiven. For yeah, like they're they're definitely they're definitely generically similar. But like, that's it. There endeth the thing. It'd be like if you talk about Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel. It's like they're both comic book movies, and they both have women in the that. The genre similarities, but the two movies are vastly different. Yeah. Although, I mean, we also live in a world where uh, movies that feature predominantly black casts are treated like they're one genre. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's also that. Right, well, and that's also the thing of the fact that, like, the fact that he's making predominantly black movies on modest that, that budgets... Are... That, that are, are being treated on the same level as other movies. Exactly. And like he's that's... showing a wealth of ignored talent because Winston Duke and Lupita Nyong'o oh. are amazing. Yeah. But they're not showing <laughs> I... up everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I... So, uh, it just reminds me of you, you, talk, you, you saying you'd seen some people talking about Winston Duke being He-Man and I'm so freaking on board for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not, not only that, that, like, I, I've heard one person say, like, he's making movies with largely black cast for everybody. And I'm like, yeah. okay, let's. I, yeah, let's. That, let's that argument that. gets me a little nervous because then he's like, well, yeah, why can't. I was like, everyone's trying to make a movie for everyone, but you have to make a movie for someone for it to be right. for everyone because a movie for everyone is for no one. Right. Or, or like, the, 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 the sort of. In, the sort of shadow reading of that is movies for everyone are movies that white people will watch. Exactly. Like that's, that's, that's just what that means, what right. that meant. And hopefully it's, it's being pushed away from that being the thing. Like, right. it's, it's, like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's not, it's not a movie that features predominantly white people. Therefore it's not for everyone. <laughs> well, I, I did, I did hear people, um, complaining about the spoiler 
It's because it's like there's no way like she could have forgotten that. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's totally easy. It's called cultural yeah. gen. And, like the ratio of a culture happens all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like life happens. Right. Uh, you forget not... where you come from. That's a thing. People accuse people uh, of that all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, again, it's not class. as. Uh... <laughs> It's it's not as uh, uh, unreal as as people would like to think. <laughs> the vilest criminal in Colombo, welcome back, Peter Falk, Yay! is usually the millionaire who was working who worked himself up to that point. Hmm. Uh, more Colombo, <laughs> always. But I am, like I said in the beginning, utterly fascinated by Jordan Peele's career path. Oh, absolutely. And the fact um, that he's gone from Key and Peel to Get Out to a documentary on Lorena Bobbitt and sort of like holding that up and looking at it from all angles and showing me that even though I lived through this, I had no earthly clue what it was about. I, I'm really glad a lot of that, like, those things that were, like, background weird cultural staples in the 90s are being reexamined. Because also John Oliver did a thing not that long long ago with uh, Monica Lewinsky. I saw that, yeah. Uh, just sort of talking to her about, like, her experiences, especially in light of what, like, social media has become today. Uh, and it's just absolutely, like, yeah, like you said, like, we were there, and these are familiar names to us. Right. But, like, there's, yeah, not not really knowing what that means and having it reexamined now uh, in, a, in a different light is is super interesting. Well, not only that, but the fact Jordan Peele seems to be allowed the almost speaking of voice and wells again, Wellian freedom of just exploring whatever the heck he wants to do. Yeah, uh, like he he has made it, and he is he is using that power uh, overtly to do things that were like the the a that he wants to do, and b that were definitely not done right uh, previously. I, I read somewhere that he admitted that basically he was just doing key and peel to pass the time. And I'm like, I want you to understand that what you did as a time killer is some of the best comedy we've seen. Yeah, what you did to pass the time <laughs> is like uh, some, some, def- some like era-defining comedy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if that was you sleepwalking through things, then awesome. Right. Because going back, the music choices as you pointed out the faming the use of lighting everything in us is so exquisite that oh. it's really sort of like because horror films are visually not always the best yeah and all and like he's using things that are trite in a way that makes them what is more trite in a horror movie than a house of mirrors <laughs> Not only that, but I love how it went from a Native American house of mirrors to the modern to like, day when they just made it a wizard. Oh, now it's a wizard. Yeah, like that's because, yeah, that's what it's like to go from the 80s to the 2000s. That's accurate. <laughs> right, I'm just like, oh, we're going to pretend like that wasn't a thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, we're, we'll just paper over it, put a new thing, we'll put a new <laughs> label on it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Don't question it. But, like, he does a really good job of building tension from very mm. normal situations. Yes. Like just uh, the basic of there's someone at the end of our driveway. Mm. And then just the, it's the fact that he's just sort of like the scene with pizzas, the pizza self in a way of the father coming in and out of the house. 
first he's like, okay, they're not a threat, comes back in, they might be a threat, grabs a baseball bat, and yeah. each time he goes out, the tension it's is slightly... ratcheted up more and more. Yeah. Uh, and like it's it's also like the the what the the tethered family is doing at, in the driveway, if I recall, is subtly different each time because when they're there initially, they're all holding hands, right? And then when he comes out the second time, they're not anymore, exactly. And uh, but we don't see that change happen; it's just slightly different now, right? And it's that sort of <laughs> like, and that's what he does the best of like changing little things enough to where yeah. you subconsciously acknowledge it, yeah. and then and have that be the thing that's off kilter. Mm. Uh, I am. I feel. Uh, yeah, I. I just. Uh, sorry, I'm just like just going back through, like flipping back through the movie in my head again. I'm just like, man, I need to see that again. There's so much good stuff going on in there, and also I, I like the, the way that that beach scene between the families like sets up so much of just like not even necessarily conflict in the story exactly, but like gives us a slice of the conflicts between these characters generally like the the weird competitiveness between the husbands right. and like the a, a similar sort of thing but deployed in a very different way because expectations of women are different than they are of men well, but like we that, still but... see this like it's oh, it's fascinating elizabeth moss's character is clearly bitter oh yeah whereas adelaide lapita nyango's character is clearly mm. just she's happy with the family yeah in a way that like just, Kitty is clearly not. Yeah, the positions that they're in, just like in their own lives, are very clearly juxtaposed, despite the fact that on the surf things. And, uh, yeah, that's just great. Well, not that, and you see it a little bit in the trailer, but, like, the fact that Winston Duke's character is just so happy about that boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he is... Like, it's amazing, because, like, I... Like when we were talking about it before, like the the sh- like he is such a great like physical actor, even <laughs> because like the way that he dominates a space in Black Panther versus the way that he's just joyfully a dad dude in <laughs> Us is just staggering. Like it's not just because he's wearing glasses; that's not what's doing it. Like this is a man who can really change the energy he brings to a scene, and it is excellent. And I think the word to face dad energy is. Right on par because he's like every dad. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, like, and it's yeah. When we first like have them in the car together, uh, and like he's he's just being peak dad, and it's adorable. <laughs> well, not only that, but like he's like, oh no, no, no. He said you gotta you gotta do something with the engine. Hold on, you gotta kick it. <laughs> no, that can't be. No, no. He, he told me you gotta like hit it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and but also like he has those sort of debt like sort of the butt of uh of being a silly dad joke things but he's not really like he's also taken seriously as a character it's not like a, a sitcom dad kind of thing right no he's very and, like he, his thoughts and feelings have value and yeah. it's clear that like when he like the moment when he's trying to convince his wife to go to the beach yeah because you can tell like one of them really wants to go for reasons that have nothing to do with the family. He just wants to show off to the neighbor dude. Yeah. And Lapita's Adelaide's like absolutely like I am not in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> I I was told I'm coming on vacation. Why do I have to do this? <laughs> yeah, it's like their relationship. I feel like is really well drawn, and uh, not like neither of them is is especially stepped on in the way that like a, a husband or a wife will sort of be the one that gets like 
to be the butt of everything in right. stories like this. Uh, and I, I really, like, I just, that's, that's refreshing. Well, and it's one of the things where, like, I, I made mention of this in a, when I was talking about uh, if Bill Street could talk. Mm. It is a great movie, even though it is not a perfect movie. Yeah. And I think there's this sort of belief that exists that a movie that is thematically messy or overstuffed mm. is not a great movie because it's not tight. I'm like, it's more interesting to me as as interesting as Get Out and the fact that it call it stands up to repeat viewings and thinking about and I'd mm-hmm. rather talk about more like than say like a perfect movie like say well even say. even the fact that that perfect is is attainable automatic. <laughs> well, even the, the the idea that it's automatically tied with being a a tight script right or like tightly like uh, with tight cinematography like that's. I see why people do that, but I, I I don't I I would like I would prefer to break that association the same way that I would want to break that association with books, right? Because like a, like there are plenty of bloated ass books that I absolutely adore, and also plenty of books that are are small and and fairly like tight and direct that I, that like to make that comparison, like you know that the it's the fact that one of those is seen as the correct way to make a movie is kind of damning. I right, think. like, construction <laughs> is only part of what makes a movie great. It's what the movie yeah. offers that makes up for the other part of the greatness. Yeah, and yeah. I think us and the Bill Street Could Talk and movies like that have a much media subject matter only because there's so much of it. And mm. it thus allows you to chew on more every time you come back. Mm. Um... I think us will have because it's still doing well, like, which is still, excellent, right? And the fact that like it did it really well on opening weekend, which means like for me, it shows a, a return to going back to going to movies for the director who isn't Tarantino. Yeah, which is good, right? <laughs> which he managed to do after only one movie. Yeah, which is impressive. I mean, all, but I mean, again, that's that's because he spent all that time. Like, you know, people know who Jordan Peele is, right? And and like, that's there. There is some serious value to that. It's like the reverse Adam Sandler. <laughs> oh, that's really accurate. All right. <laughs> uh. uh, so uh, we only got a, a few minutes left. I we want I want to make a bit of announcement. Thad and I are going to be starting a new. We're still doing the podcast, but we're going to start doing like special episodes called spotlight episodes, and we're mm. going to be looking at directors or genres or particular actors and stuff in which we just look at the movie itself and talk about yeah, gonna, that. Going to we'll do post- like a more focused deep dive comparative right. analysis sort of thing. It won't be every episode. It'll just be like every other month or so. But we'll. Post about it on social media so you know what movies to we'll be discussing or what topic we'll be discussing. So if you wanted to, you could watch the movie at home along, and we'll do yeah, try yeah, to do yeah. it enough advance where you have time to do so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, without further ado, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you so much. We're gonna try to figure out the tech stuff and try to be as regular as possible. Thank you so much <laughs> yes. for listening. Uh, Thad, say goodbye. Bye. All right, everyone. Have a good one.